If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. For this first Artemis mission, we're going to the South Pole of the Moon. One of the main goals of Artemis is to actually send rovers, and so how to display, help connect you with a rover or with your science experiment. What if you had the opportunity to design something NASA could use in an upcoming mission? And what if the process involved you and your team working in augmented reality? That is exactly what students ages 16 and up are going to get a chance to do this upcoming semester, courtesy of the NASA Suits Design Challenge. NASA human interface engineer Paramita Mitra researched augmented reality systems which ultimately led to this innovative program while she herself was a student intern at NASA. Paramita, how did you first realize that aerospace engineering was the field in which you really wanted to use your creativity? That's a great question, Dot. Honestly, throughout high school, throughout middle school, I was very fascinated in the medical field. And I always thought I was going to be a doctor. But um, I also had this love for astronomy. When my family moved to the United States, we went to planetariums. That was just like our thing that we did as a family. And it kind of grew a passion there. But I really didn't understand what engineering could be for me. And so I joined the robotics team as well as took an astronomy class. And my teacher, Mrs. Sappington, she's incredible. She actually influenced me a lot in making me realize this career of aerospace engineering because I fell in love with robotics and the process of building things and designing things. And then also I had this love for astronomy. Paramita's love for astronomy and robotics ultimately led her to study aerospace and space engineering. She described her studies at Mississippi State University. Very human systems focused, very I worked very closely with the spacesuit, and so that's brought in a lot of that medical interest that I've had for so long. In graduate school, I took some biomechanics classes, took some human-robot, human-computer interaction classes, and it's just been very naturally fascinating to me, really. And isn't that interesting? I would never have made the connection between an interest in medicine and an interest in a spacesuit, but sure, that sounds like a natural connection now that you say that. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. From there, please tell me about how you came to get your dream job with NASA. What happened for you? Well, so leaving my senior year with a degree in aerospace engineering, and I actually hadn't had a NASA internship yet, but I was it was my dream job. And, and I knew that that's why I kind of entered this aerospace field was to work with NASA. And so I took an unpaid internship at NASA Marshall in Huntsville, Alabama, and to support that unpaid status, I actually had two other jobs, one as a space camp counselor and one as um, a, just a data analyst for a small aerospace startup. And so I kind of had to just prove myself through my unpaid internship and the minimal amount of time I was able to commit to that. And that turned into a real internship, a paid one, over the summer. And I spent eight months at this NASA center. And that was eight months before I decided to enter grad school. And so... Throughout that eight months, I had a lot of self-exploration and, and really kind of honed in on what I wanted to do in the field. And so I realized that working with spacesuits would be absolutely fascinating, combining, again, that medical 
a biomedical background and looking at degrees in human-computer interaction and aerospace and that cross-section. So it's really interdisciplinary field. But so I, when I was at Marshall, I reached out to a spacesuit engineer here at NASA Johnson in Houston, Amy Ross, and we connected. And I asked her, I was like, hey, I'm a grad student. I'm going to have funding. I just need a problem that's relevant to you that I could solve. And so, of course, at working at NASA, we know that our funds are limited, but to be able to have someone solve a problem for you is a very attractive thing. So Amy Ross actually guided me towards this project that was validating human performance while using a heads-up display concept within the spacesuit. And so I actually took that problem statement and kind of ran with it and found the right contacts. And it took a lot of initiative, but Amy Ross is the person. She's a lead pressure garment system engineer here at Johnson. So she's who introduced me to this whole world of AR technology within the suit and displays. How did the NASA suits design challenge grow out of your work with this one? What happened next? Yeah, that's a sweet serendipity, if I could say so myself. Like, So when I was a graduate student, I was interning on the spacesuit team, and someone, Brandon actually from education, had a request to do a spacesuit challenge, specifically for students to a design challenge. And me personally, having worked on the heads-in display, these augmented reality concepts within the helmet of the suit, I've constantly seen a real need for a software design challenge at NASA. And so I kind of just disseminated my thesis work where we developed a heads-up display for a suit and had test subjects actually run through a spacewalk-like dexterity task. And I took something very familiar to me in that thesis framework and applied it to this design challenge and kind of threw it in the hat as an idea for Brandon and, and for the Office of STEM Engagement. Brandon, whom Paramita mentioned, is NASA Suits Activity Manager and STEM Engagement Strategist Brandon Hargis, who created the NASA Suits Design Challenge. And so that's really where it started, but I think the really interesting part was that this is the first design challenge of its kind that actually engineering is paying for out of rather than out of the Office of STEM Engagement. So these design solutions that we're asking for from the students for suits are feeding directly into the informatics subsystem of the suit, the displays and controls. And so the designs and the concepts that these students are doing and the research that they're doing through the suits design challenge has really contributed to the field of using AR for an EVA or a spacewalk scenario. And it's something that when I entered grad school, that was non-existent. The field was non-existent. And so this this design challenge has been really helpful in kind of standing up that field. Ultimately, Paramita earned a Master of Science degree in Aerospace, Aeronautical, and Astronautical Engineering. Brandon talked with me before, and he said the 2020 challenge is going to have to do with lunar spacewalk technology and a helmet for, let's say, thinking positively, the woman astronaut who walks on the moon next. Yeah. Wow. What would you advise the students as a human interface engineer to keep in mind when they're designing a helmet in the 2020 challenge for this woman astronaut? Yeah, absolutely. So going to the south pole of the moon is 
the mission objective for Lunar 2024, for the first mission of Artemis, which is what this new mission is called. What do we especially have to keep in mind when designing an interface for an astronaut who's going to be doing a moonwalk in 2024? Yeah, so that's a really big question. I think about this question every day because it's my job as the displays and controls lead. And one of the, just when you're approaching an engineering problem in general, my advice would be to think about your environment first. And so for this first Artemis mission, we're going to the South Pole of the Moon. And so in that South Pole, one of the reasons that we're going is for the ice collection that is at the South Pole. So what sort of science can be done there? And how can a display actually help you with that science objective? Also, another important thing is to think about how are we actually going to be traversing the moon? So one of the main goals of Artemis is to actually send rovers. And so how would a display help connect you with a rover or with your science experiment? And really thinking about one of the interesting features of the South Pole is that there's some really long shadowed regions that stay shadowed for very long periods of time. And so you're kind of walking in and out of shadowed versus light and dark areas just because of the crater formations, the mountainous regions, how the sun is shadowing those areas because the South Pole is really kind of staying still in a sense while the moon is going around its axis. And so there's some really interesting lighting scenarios. There's some really interesting science that we could do with ISRU components to utilize these ice formations for our benefit. And then there's also some interfacing that we need to think about when it comes to rovers and what types of rovers we would be driving around the moon. But in terms of a display Those are really the three main things that we're going to be focusing on for this year. But in terms of a display, what we want out of a user interface for a display is something that's absolutely helpful and really something that is going to be beneficial to the crew member and not a distraction. So those are kind of my little bits of input. That's also a really tall order. We're gathering ice. We've got a rover. We've got the shadows. Now we have to not distract the astronaut, too. Exactly. What are some of the mistakes you have seen students make in the past from which the students in this challenge could learn? That's a great question. I think, so when you're, a lot of these students are working on the HoloLens or the Magic Leap platforms, and it's really important to understand what capabilities these these headsets actually have. It's really important not to only just create the most robust user interface that's the most beautiful or the most interactive, But how does that affect your computing power within the processor of these headsets? How are you efficiently creating code that isn't laggy, that actually overlays onto your real environment in real time? Because if you can imagine if our phone conversation right now had about a five-second lag or something like that, it would be really difficult for us to just communicate verbally. But if you can imagine when you're watching a TV show or something and it's dubbed about a second or two later, those lags really kind of add up and take away from the user experience and and from the usability of the system in itself. So I would focus on creating an efficient design that's also user-friendly. And of course, aesthetics is important and being creative in how you format some of this information. But really focusing on, does the thing work seamlessly? And so that, I think, is where we really get some good usability and some good user buy-in from when they come on site and do testing.
that idea of working seamlessly intrigues me because here on Earth we have some pretty creative computer problems. I'm wondering how you avoid those when you get somebody up on the moon or get someone in space. <laughs> That's a really good question. One of the big things that we have to be very aware of when we're creating displays is that there are no radiation-tolerant GPUs. And so whenever, probably in the future, when we develop a display, there might be, I'm looking at options to create some GPU capabilities on a CPU. We have to make sure that the CPUs that we do fly are radiation-tolerant and then spec your display to the CPUs that are actually available for space flight and that are actually rated for space flight. And so ultimately it's going to be just this this really challenging balance between the hardware that we can fly, the ideal hardware that will help us with the task during the EVA with the display, and it's just going to be a balance and really finding those trades and working on those studies. This should be a lot of fun for any students participating. I hope I have everything correct here, that the minimum age for participants is 16, and it's undergraduate or graduate. Is that still correct? Yes, absolutely. And that people can enroll. Brandon said that he hoped that your group would have this out by middle of August. Yep, we're working towards mid to late August, and that's kind of been our time frame from the last two years, and that should be just what we're doing this year as well. I didn't want to forget to mention that you've come to NASA from a unique background. You won a beauty pageant. Yeah. And you give this fascinating TED Talk about what being Miss Mississippi meant to you in terms of leadership and being a scientist. But what lessons can anyone participating in the NASA Suits Design Challenge take away from your experience competing in a beauty pageant? Well, thank you. That. Thank you for also listening to the TED Talk. It was a really growing experience to actually be able to give one, and then it's, it was a moment of self-exploration. But I'm really glad that kind of my two worlds combined in that talk. And honestly, one of the things that – a few points that I touch on is the importance of communicating effectively – so when I was in pageants, I was constantly thrown into scenarios where I would have to give a talk. <laughs> I talk about a story of when I had to give a talk to the governor of Mississippi at a moment's notice, and I had to give a 30-minute keynote speech. And it was a terrifying moment, but giving presentations about your projects, it really helps you both to understand your own science better and your own projects better, your own your own contribution, but then it also helps you when you're able to relate those topics to the general public. That's really how you create impactful science. Another topic that I talk about is the importance of diligence and dedication and hard work and just never, never kind of letting yourself stop whenever you have a really important goal, especially with aerospace engineering. It was a really terrifying feat to get two degrees in that field because it's, it was it was challenging. The, the classes were challenging. Took a lot of math classes. I think I was like one class away from a minor. And, and all of that takes patience and diligence and work on doing your homework and, and really dedicating yourself fully to this challenge is how I would say you should focus because I think ultimately the not a lot of people like sitting in class, if I'm being perfectly honest. I'm one of those people. And I think 
what really drove me to finish my degrees and do well in my research field is being able to realize that what I'm learning in class and what I'm learning at school are the tools, kind of like my superpowers that I use when I'm actually trying to build something fun, like a heads-up display or something. And so I think just having diligence, being able to communicate, and then using your knowledge that you're learning and having patience to learn it in itself are some of the real things that I learned, some of the tangible things I learned from competing on such a scale. And I'd recommend anybody listening take a look at your TED Talk because it's a great one. Thank you. Another of your superpowers seems to be work in educational outreach and reaching students and getting them to be interested in space science. How do you relate space science to young girls and young women who maybe don't see themselves as future engineers? Yeah, so I did not see myself as an engineer. I think in middle school, if you asked me what an engineer was, I would say like a train conductor. Is that what you're talking about? But it's so easy to get kind of get caught up in what we think the word engineering means. But I'd like to challenge women specifically to kind of dig a little bit deeper before you make a decision on what your career is going to be and see what interests you. So engineering, when I realized that there was this huge design aspect, this huge creativity aspect, this huge communication between different systems aspect, I knew that that was just naturally some of the things that I was good at. I was in honors art and I love painting. I teach painting classes. So like you can take your things that you're passionate about I love doing makeup. That takes a lot of creativity. And you kind of have to, there's a lot of room for that in engineering. But you just have to be able to get your superpowers, like your tools, by taking the classes and doing well in them. And then learning the content, which actually is going to help you. And those are kind of like your paintbrushes, right? So my differential equations class, that's a a, a painting tool that I could use to ultimately impact some of my science work in the future. So really just kind of thinking about not just putting the word engineer into a box, but thinking about what are the actual skills that are needed to do this job and do they apply to me today? Am I a creative person? Do I like design? And am I capable of obtaining the tools that I need to do this career? We probably have a number of educators listening. What is one resource you would really love to recommend to any educator, any teacher, principal, anyone in the education profession that helps get students involved in STEAM? Anything you really like to get the kids involved in science, technology, engineering, art, and math, and really get them thinking, wow, science is art, art is science. Absolutely. So I, I'm big on social media. I know that the STEAM and the science communicator community on specifically Instagram and Twitter are huge and they're so far reaching. And I know for me, it helps a lot because I would see women that looked like me doing the careers because we have this immediate, immediate media platform that is social media. And so I kind of looked to that. That helped me a lot in terms of just skills and gaining those skills from class. YouTube is has such a plethora of knowledge when it comes to tutorials, whether it's for your differential equations class, there's tools that are for free like Khan Academy. One of the classes I think for grad students and for people in college that was really helpful for me, MIT has an open courseware where they have a lot of classes online that you can take for free and just learn the content. And that's how I got 
knowledge of some of some of the things that I was looking for, like aerospace human factors. So that was one class I took, an electrical engineering class I took as well. And so, yes, we have our traditional education that is the curriculum that's provided to us through college and graduate school, but online resources are so far-reaching. They cover so many topics, and I would just really encourage students to take advantage of that. I did not know that about MIT's OpenCourseWare. There's a signature question I always ask at the end of a podcast. I'd like to ask you this one as well, which is, if people could only get one thing from you, Paramita, about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from your work with NASA, NASA Suits Design Challenge, and the things that you've learned over time about aerospace and augmented reality? I would really just say, think about the most unconventional way you could get to your goal and do it. Because I think the journey along taking those really big steps like competing at Miss USA teach you so much about just what you can do in engineering, what you could do in STEAM. For me, it taught me a lot, but it was such an unconventional path. And if someone had told me at the beginning that it was going to be so helpful to my career in the future, I don't know if I could have believed them. But whatever your interests are, I would say just pursue them fiercely and really learn from them and have time to reflect from what you're learning to be able to apply those things to your future career, specifically in STEAM. Paramita, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much. You and I have been listening to NASA Human Interface Engineer Paramita Mitra. As Paramita mentioned, the 2020 NASA Suits Design Challenge is scheduled to be open to students ages 16 and up, starting mid-August 2019. You'll find more information at microgravityuniversity.jsc.nasa.gov. When you go to the page, you'll find a tab at the upper right for the NASA Suits Design Challenge. Once again, that webpage, microgravityuniversity.jsc.nasa.gov. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.